Turn our Bibles this morning to the book of Luke. We'll be in Luke chapter number 23. Luke chapter number 23. In just a few minutes, uh, as we get uh, into the introduction this morning, I will be reading from John 19 as well. Uh, if you would like to follow along, you can go ahead and find your place there. Uh, but we'll be in Luke 23 for most of the morning. Uh, we have been for many weeks now... Uh, in uh, this series, Standing Near the Cross, and looking at characters of those that were present when Christ was crucified. I'll do that next Sunday, and I plan on that being the last uh, uh, message in this series, uh, but this series has certainly been a blessing to me. I trust it has been uh, to you, and we look forward to seeing what God does for us today. Luke chapter number 23, and we're going to be looking at verse 39 to begin with. Luke 23 and verse 39. And one of the malefactors, which were hanged, railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other, answering, rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. I want us to look at the two malefactors today. That word malefactor simply means criminal. Uh, it gives a, con a connotation of uh, evil that has been done. And often they're referred to as the two thieves, but I think it's more appropriate to use the word malefactor today. And I'm going to look at the two malefactors and what they represent. Let's ask the Lord to help us. Father, I pray that you would use the Word of God today to help us. I pray that if there's one unsaved this morning, may the message today be used by the Spirit of God to bring conviction, to shine a light on the fact that we're all in need of a Savior, that no man can save himself. And Father, I pray that for the saved today, the redeemed, those who've already had their salvation settled, may once again uh, we be reminded of what Christ did for us on Calvary. May we be reminded of the price that was paid. May we be reminded of His suffering for us, His conquering of death and hell. And Father, may uh, we be reminded once again of the call from Calvary uh, for us to be dedicated to Him. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we look at the cross that our Lord was crucified on, uh, we look to either side of Him. As scripture tells us that there were two malefactors crucified with Him. One was crucified on one side and one was crucified on the other. We do not know their names. We do not know necessarily their crimes, but we know that their crimes were worthy of them facing death and being executed in this cruel way, means by the crucifixion. Now, I want us to draw our attention, and often we are all, as we uh, look at the symbol of what Calvary is, there's always, uh, seems to be, the three crosses to remind us uh, of that center cross which the Lord hung on and these others that were crucified with Him. And certainly we'll look in a little more detail this morning at the two different malefactors, but uh, I want us to begin thinking of this fact that these two criminals represent two types of people. Everyone who has ever lived or who is living 
or will live fit into one of these two representations. Whether it be the malefactor on one side or the malefactor on another, these two criminals represent every man. We're not represented by those who are wealthy and those who are poor as often these two categories are used in the day we live in. No, man is not not defined or not divided even by their race. They're not divided by religious and non-religious, but there at the cross were the chief priests, the very religious. Also at the cross were those that were non-religious. But this is not how man is categorized or man is divided. It is not the elite and the common people. No, these two criminals represent two types of people that every man, two categories that every man is categorized by. All are either represented by the malefactor who believed or by the malefactor who did not believe. You are either a believer or you are a non-believer. Every man is categorized there. This world has been blinded so greatly by Satan. And Satan wants us to categorize one another by different things, whether it be by our status, whether we're elite or common, whether it be by our race, whether it be by our creed or what background we come from. But there's a God in heaven who only sees man in one or two categories. It's either a believer or a non-believer. God does not even see man as Republican and Democrat, liberal or conservative. It is either believer or non-believer. Every individual who has ever lived, who is living today, or who will live, is represented by one of these criminals. Now, before you get offended by me categorizing you and I by someone who is a criminal, who is obviously being executed for his crimes, uh, let me get ahead of myself a little bit and say that is an accurate characterization of you and I. It is an accurate characterization of every man who has ever lived. It is an accurate characterization of every man who ever will live. What a fascinating passage of Scripture, verse 39 through 43 is. Picture this in your mind, if you will. Christ, the Son of God, is hanging on a cross, paying for the sins of the world. To one side is one criminal who's facing the same thing that our Savior is facing. On the other side of our Lord is another criminal who's being crucified for his crimes. There's a conversation taking place huddled around this cross. There's a conversation taking place in the most unlikely of places that you and I can ever imagine. If you can picture in your mind this scene and this cruel uh, form of execution taking place, and we spent many weeks talking about all the people who were there and those who were there to just observe and those who were there to jeer and to rail, to use the Bible word on the Lord, and those that were present there, in the midst of all of that chaos is a conversation. This is a very revealing conversation that is taking place on these three crosses. This conversation 
that is recorded for all of eternity in just a few simple verses supersedes all theological discourse that has ever taken place. This conversation between two criminals and our Savior summarizes the, the need of man, summarizes the two categories of man, and summarizes the salvation of man. Let me take you to hold your place in Luke 23, but in John chapter 19, I want to use the first 17 verses, if you will, with me this morning to take us from Pilate's Hall to the cross of Calvary. In John chapter 19, in verse number 1, we read that Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe and said, Hail, King of the Jews, and they smote him with their hands. Pilate therefore went forth again and saith unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you, that ye may know that I find no fault in him. Then came Jesus forth wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate saith unto them, Behold the man. And the chief priests therefore and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Take ye him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. And and the Jews answered him, We have a law, and by our law he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. And I remind all of us, he didn't make himself the Son of God, he was the Son of God. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he was the more afraid. And went again into the judgment hall, and saith unto him, saith unto Jesus, Whence art thou? But Jesus gave him no answer. So we're reminded that Pilate took the Lord, that Roman governor, scourged him. They mocked him. They beat him. Pilate offered to set him free, and that angry mob who had rejected Jesus for who he was, They shouted, crucify him, crucify him. In verse number 9, we see that Jesus is in the judgment hall. He went again into the judgment hall and saith to Jesus. So we see where Jesus is. He's in the judgment hall. There's a short conversation there, and, and I'll go ahead and read a few of these verses. Verse 10, then saith Pilate unto him, speakest thou not unto me, knowest Thou not that I have power to crucify thee, and I have power to release thee? Pilate is a good summarization of man who has a higher opinion than he ought to have of himself. Jesus answered, Thou couldest have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. And from thenceforth Pilate sought to release him. The Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Whosoever maketh himself a king speaketh unto Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in the Hebrew, Gabbatha. It was the preparation of the Passover in about the sixth hour, and he saith unto the Jews, Behold your king. And they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him, Pilate saith unto them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. 
Then delivered he him therefore unto them to be crucified, and they took Jesus and led him away. We know that Jesus is crucified on Calvary. We know he's at the place called Golgotha for his crucifixion. The judgment and all these things did not take place where he's crucified. He's in the judgment hall, and then we find as, as Paul delivers him, or, or, or Pilate delivers him to be crucified, in verse 17, and he bearing his cross went forth into a place, the place of a skull. We spent another week when we talked about Simon, that cross bearer, but Jesus from Pilate's hall, after he had been beaten, after he had been scourged, after he had been mocked, had the crown of thorns placed on his head, he had to carry his cross from that judgment hall through the streets of that city to outside of the gates to the place of the skull, Golgotha. Now, what a scene that was, and they made that criminal, if you will, carry their cross as part of their shame. That crowd would jeer at them and, 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 and gaze at them and and mock them, and they had to carry that cross to the place where they would be crucified. Now, we know that he was crucified with two malefactors or two criminals. Now, they could have gone before him and already been at Golgotha. I think it is more likely to believe that as, they, that as Jesus was led from Pilate's hall, so were these two criminals. The criminals were taken to this place of crucifixion. And while our focus is all on the Lord, as it should be, in the fact that He was crucified for our sins, let us not forget, for the sake of the message this morning, that there were two other criminals that walked that same path that He walked to face the same fate that He would face. Likely, when all, of, all three of these, our Lord and these two criminals, got to the place of crucifixion, all three crosses would have been laid down. They all would have been laid on the cross, and then they would have been nailed to that cross. And they would have then been raised to the sky, and the cross dropped into the hole that was prepared for it. Now, I give us this background to remind us that these two malefactors, these two criminals, likely were witness to what we read in the Scripture. They were likely to be a witness somewhat of what Christ went through before He put the cross on His back. They certainly would have been witness to the crowd's response to Christ as they walked the same path to the same place of crucifixion, assuming that's what was taking place, which would have been in line with tradition. Then when they got there, certainly it was different. Now, certainly they were focused on their own demise, but they were not in a vacuum, meaning they were not without seeing everything that else was taking place when it comes to our Lord. They had an upfront view of redemption's plan taking place. It is with that background, I want us to look at this conversation that is taking place between our Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, and these two criminals. As we look to these two malefactors, we realize 
that they were not only nailed to the cross on either side of our Lord, they had been witness to these events leading up to that point. They were in the presence of our Lord and with the idea that these two criminals represent the two categories or two groups of people that all men find themselves in. I want us with that in mind to look at a few things this morning. And I want to say, first of all, number one, these men were condemned due to their actions. Christ was condemned because it was the plan of redemption. But these two men were condemned because they were guilty. Look with me in verse number 40, back in Luke chapter number 23. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly. They were guilty. Therefore, they had been condemned. And just for a moment, may I remind all of us that we are condemned because of sin. Romans 3.23 tells us, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It doesn't matter if your grandmother thinks that you've never done anything wrong. You are a sinner. I am a sinner. Every man who's ever lived is a sinner. And because we are sinners, we fall short of the glory of God. We can, do not measure up with God. There is nothing we can do to get to God. Romans 6.23 reminds us that we are condemned for the wages of sin is death. Those two criminals were going to the cross to die because they were guilty. They were going to die to pay for their sins. And friend, that is true of every man who has ever taken a breath, every man who has lived on this earth. We are condemned to die for our sins. We are condemned to die because we are guilty. Let me remind you this morning, maybe you're sitting here and you've never heard the redemption story and you say, I think I'm good enough to get to God. No, friend, you are condemned to die. You are condemned because of your sin. You say, I've never done those bad sins in this world. One sin is bad enough to send you and I to hell. All men are condemned. We don't like to hear this today. We like to attend our little worship service on Sunday morning and have some uh, uh, motivational speaker get up and tell us that we're living our best life now and tell us that everything's going to be okay. But friend, this book reminds you and it reminds me and these two criminals remind us this morning that we are guilty. And because of our guilt, we are condemned to die. John 3 and verse 18 reminds us that he that believeth not is condemned already. There's condemnation for our sins. Jesus was not condemned because he was guilty. He was condemned because it was redemption's plan. In verse number 39, one of the male factors began to rail on Christ. We'll talk about that in a moment. But that other, as we've already read, defended him. And verse 41 reminds him, can you see this taking place? The three crosses, Christ is in the middle. And one on one side begins to, 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 to mock Christ and, and rail on Christ. And the other one inter interrupts and says, hey, you have no fear of God. We are guilty. We deserve to die. But not this man. Not him. 
Boy, this, this criminal who spoke up for Christ has more sense than a lot of religious theologians. Oh, it was easy for him to see. I deserve to be here, but not Jesus. And friend, that's what this world needs to be reminded of. We are guilty. We are destined to die for our sins. We don't compare to Christ in His innocence. So I want us to notice, first of all, they were condemned due to their actions. And that reminds us today that man is condemned due to man's actions. Then I want us to see, number two, the contradiction in the fact that one is being crucified on one side of our Lord, one is being crucified on the other side of our Lord. They may or may not have even committed the same crime. But that is where the similarities cease. Because there is a contradiction in their response to the Lord who is being crucified with them. And before I elaborate on this point anymore, I want to remind us that here the picture begins to get a little bit clearer between the two categories that man is placed in. He is either a believer or he's a non-believer. Man can justify what category they're in, and in many ways, if you're a believer, you don't have to justify your position. But as a non-believer, you can justify it any way you want to justify it, but it comes down to, from an eternal viewpoint, from God's viewpoint, from the viewpoint that matters, man is in two categories, and they are represented by the two criminals. We see a contradiction in their response. First of all, let's look at verse number 39 again. And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. Where have I heard those words before? I know where I've heard them before. From the chief priest. Saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself. Isn't it amazing that those who end up in the category of non-believer, they're saying the same words that the religion says. They're saying the same things that the chief priests say. If thou be Christ, come off the cross. Friend, you can, you can recite a hundred Hail Marys. You can use all kinds of, of religious terminology. You can say all these religious words. And you can repeat what somebody else has said. But that does not make you saved. There's going to be a lot of people who are in that category. Represented by the thief, by the, by the criminal who rejected Christ. Who, who, who said a lot of things that, that religious people said, but they're going to find themselves paying for their sins in that horrible place called hell because quoting a religious man won't save you. We find him railing. That, ter- that, that word railing, that symbolizes an attack, verbal attack. Something interesting that it further describes this verbal attack. It's a verbal attack with bitterness attached to it. So when that word is used, when the chief priest came back, there was bitterness towards Christ. When this thief, think about this, who's, who's nailed to a cross because he's guilty. 
He's in the presence of the Son of God. And instead of looking to Him for forgiveness and salvation, He repeats what He's heard by other religious people say. And He begins to rail on Christ in His bitterness comes through. The one criminal is an example of rejection and deflection. He's rejecting Christ and he's deflecting his guilt off of himself. Instead of a contrite, broken spirit for the crimes that he had committed, He wants to turn to Christ and say, if you're really who you think you are, come down off this cross. There's going to be a lot of people pay for their own sins in that horrible place called hell because they pointed an accusing finger at Christ and said, if you're really who you think you are, if you're really who you say you are, and they blame God for circumstances in their life, They blame God for their own situation. They don't want to take accountability. There's one thing missing in our nation and is missing in our world is for a man to take accountability for his own actions. And there's a lot of men who don't think they need salvation and they won't accept Christ because they have been trained to think and believe that it's always somebody else's fault. I'm on this cross and if you would just come down, why don't you just come down? There's not so much to think about you because you're in the same position I'm in. There is rejection and deflection. There's a lot of people who reject Christ and it's because they're deflecting their own sins. I don't care what I've had. I've encountered, I mean, I've talked to so many people in my life about their salvation, and there's some that say, "Well, I don't, I don't even know if that's sin." They don't believe that. We know we're sinners. It's a matter of whether we look to Christ or not because of our sinners. That's one response. You would think that if, I'm, that if this individual is nailed to a cross, he's going to die soon. He's been a witness somewhat in some regard to some of these events that have taken place. And instead of looking for redemption, re, instead of looking for forgiveness of his actions looking for some hope, he rejects Christ. There are some who know the plan of salvation. They've heard it preached. They've heard it presented. And they refuse to look to Christ out of their own pride, their own stubbornness, their own hardness of heart. You say, how can they do that? Well, there was a man nailed to a cross in the presence of the Lord who... Rejected and deflected. But notice the response of the other individual. And this is where we begin to define which category we're in that is represented by these two criminals. Notice verse number 40. But the other answering rebuked him. He didn't just say, well, I just disagree. He rebuked him. I guess when he's nailed to a cross, he's got nothing to lose. He rebuked him. Watch what the Bible says, saying, Dost not thou fear God? When man is faced with his own mortality, and instead of looking to Christ 
rejects Christ, has no fear of God. Man that would be presented by the Word of God that says you must be born again, that says when Jesus quotes Jesus as saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no man comes unto the Father but by me, and continues to hang on to their religion, hangs on to their beliefs, they have no fear of God. Quite frankly, as a child, why I know I know I needed to get saved and why I chose salvation is because I feared God enough that I believed He would do what He said He would do. And that every man that rejected Christ, He would send them to that place prepared for the devil and his angels, that place called hell. I believed God enough to, to believe that He would do what He said He would do. But there's that no fear of God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation. In other words, you couldn't keep yourself off this cross. You couldn't keep yourself out of this situation. But look at verse 41. This is a sweet verse. And we indeed justly. For we receive the due reward of our deeds. This man hath done nothing amiss. You sense the pride on one side. But not another male factor. There's a humbleness. His guilt has humbled him. His fate has humbled him. In just a few moments, his suffering will end and his life will be over. He's humbled by that. I've heard stories and sadly in a couple of cases witnessed somebody on their, taking their last breaths needing Christ, bowing up in their pride and rejecting Him. But I've also been in the presence of people taking their last breaths and with humble spirit, looking to Christ and receiving Him as their Savior. Friend, if you're saved this morning, I want you to think of your own salvation just for a moment. You did not get saved, I did not get saved until we first humbled ourselves and realized that we were guilty. Realized that we deserved some people, they, they bow up, they get upset when you say, if you die without Christ, you're going to go to hell and pay for your sins. They don't like to hear that. They don't like to hear it because it's necessarily troubling, and it should be troubling to a lost man. But they bow up in defiance, and how dare you say something like that to me? Well, first of all, it is the truth. But for, you, for an individual to be saved, they must humble themselves under the realization, I am guilty. And as, as this man would say, I deserve to be nailed to this cross. I deserve to pay for my sins. I deserve the fate that has been handed to me. But I'm going to humble myself and look to the Son of God. And whatever redemption He can offer me, I'm going to humble myself to say, I deserve, I'm guilty. That's the, if you're saved this morning, you first had to humble yourself and realize your need of salvation. So we see the contradiction, and it's true in this world today. Those that are saved, those that have received Christ, have first humbled themselves to the point that this is a need that I have, and I have to hasten. We looked at the third thing this morning. We find the confession of one malefactor. 
We've already seen it, but I'll read verse 40 all the way down through verse 42 again. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost thou, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. We find the confession that is necessary for salvation, the confession of one criminal. In verse number 41, as I've already mentioned, he says, and we indeed justly. He's acknowledging his own sin, his own guilt. In verse 41, he acknowledges Christ and who Christ is. And we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man hath done nothing amiss. He's already acknowledging the fear of God, of acknowledging our own condition and who Christ is. He said Christ is the perfect Son of God. He had been witness to all of these things that had taken place. Then in verse number 42, he says, Lord, remember me. He is calling upon the name of the Lord for salvation. He is putting all of his hope and faith in Christ. Whereas on one side, man is still repeating what he's heard the chief priest say. He's still bowing up and saying, I don't need Christ for my salvation. He's not enough for my salvation. But yet from the other side, this humble man, believing that he was receiving his just reward, acknowledging that Christ is who Christ said he was, then he just simply said, Lord, remember me. Remember me. You and I... In our salvation, we may have said words a little bit differently. It had to come from an equal heart of that belief that Jesus... I remember my own salvation. I had, As a child, I'd heard the story of the crucifixion and what Christ did, and I realized my need of salvation. I had heard of how you had the thief on one side and the thief on the other as it was taught, and these two criminals, and one would reject and one would say it. All we had to do was put our faith in what Jesus did. We have the confession. We have the acknowledgement. No one is saved unless they first acknowledge their own guilt. We have the acknowledgement of Christ who's done nothing amiss. Then we have the Lord remember me. There's a lot of people who believe Christ was born. There's a lot who believe that Christ even lived the perfect life. But instead of saying, Lord, remember me, and putting all their faith in Christ, they want to put some of their faith in their own good works. They want to put some faith in the church, and it's 100% of what, what Christ can do for you. We have the confession. And then fourthly, we have the conversion of the same malefactor. And Jesus said unto him, now, this is a very interesting conversation. They have been grouped together. They've walked that journey from Judgment Hall to Golgotha. I remind you that Jesus was 100% God, but he was 100% man. We're trying to imagine the groans of pain and suffering from our Lord. That these men heard and could relate to. There's a conversation taking place. You have believer and unbeliever in Christ. 
The one begins to reject Christ. The other humbles himself. It would be interesting to hear even the tones of which these words were spoken. I believe from the very tone you would have got the sense of the heart from where the words came from. But as these two men speak and the one rebukes the other and turns to the Lord and says, Would you remember me? Now the Lord speaks in verse 43, And Jesus said unto him, Verily, which means truly, I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Can you imagine how sweet those words sounded to that criminal? I don't know the age of that criminal. I don't know how many crimes he had committed. He had certainly committed one that earned him the death penalty. He's in the last hours and minutes and moments of his life and he had been witness to what is, what is, what is all the, the stir? What, what, why is the reaction to this one? And maybe, we don't know, we can only suppose, maybe he had heard Christ teach at another place. We don't know, but certainly I believe if he was in the presence of the Son of God that day, he knew who he was, just like that centurion who was at the foot of the cross seeing the sky turn black and the, and the earthquake taking place and proclaiming, truly this was the Son of God. I believe the man who hung on the cross, he knew this was the Lord. He said, would you remember me? Can you sense the, the hope from his voice when he asked that question? I know I'm guilty. I know you're innocent. I know I'm deserving of what I'm receiving. But would you remember me? And in the voice of the, the, voice of the Savior speaks, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. This was an immediate conversion. He didn't have to change his lifestyle. He didn't have to get baptized. He didn't have to join the church. He didn't have to light any candles. He didn't have to do any good works. He just said, Lord, would you remember me? He's confessed of his sins. He's confessed of who Christ was. He confessed his need of the Savior and called on the name of the Lord. And Christ said, today. Today, thou shalt be with me in paradise. This was faith, not works. Aren't you thankful that salvation is immediate? Aren't you thankful there's nothing we have to do to earn salvation because we could not earn salvation? The best we can do are filthy rags, but it is the perfection of our Savior. It is His shed blood applied to our account. It is our faith in what Christ did on Calvary. What a picture of salvation. A man being crucified close enough for the Lord to hear His voice and close enough for Him to hear the voice of the Lord. And there before that man closed his eyes in death, he had 
salvation. His sins had been forgiven. They had been been washed under the blood that was being shed. Not too far away from him, the very high priest that that would sprinkle his blood on that mercy seat in heaven was the one who said, just as he offers us salvation today, thou shalt be with me in paradise. Pastor, do you believe that God literally meant that today when he died, he would be immediately with Christ in that place called paradise? Absolutely. I I believe that's where he was because he put his faith and trust in Christ. I have to hasten that word paradise is used two other times in the New Testament. One time in, in, in the book of, I believe it's 2 Corinthians, but in Revelation chapter number 2. I'll read it very quickly. Chapter number 2 and verse number 7. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. He was saying, today, thou wilt meet with me in paradise. The day is coming, friend. If you have been saved, you and I will meet him in paradise. We are going to be in paradise with our Lord. We're not going to some holding place to get with our Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And the moment we close, just as that man in his suffering, in his anguish, and he closed his eyes in death, in that instant, there was a face he recognized. But that face did not have the crown of thorns on his head. That face has, was not swollen any longer from sinful man taking his fist and, and buffeting him and punching him. In that very moment, he was with the Lord in paradise. It's instant, friend. I close with this. Which malefactor are you? All of us are one of them. I wish I had time, and it's not near as happy as a, of a story, to talk about the other malefactor. Because the one who believed entered into the presence of the Lord with his Lord. I was thinking about this early this morning, this malefactor down here, crucified as a criminal, rejected by society, guilty of crimes worthy of death. That's not what he's known by in heaven. And from that moment to this moment, He's been enjoying paradise. But from that moment to this moment, the malefactor on the other side has been suffering and torments beyond what you and I could possibly even fathom because he rejected the Son of God, which... Malefactor, are you? I, I don't know what a glorified mind's going to be like. I don't know what a glorified body's going to be like. I don't know what it's like. I, I've, I've, I've never, I've never, obviously, never been to heaven. Neither of you, and neither is any best-selling author either. 
But I wonder, and I don't know how, it, how your mind is going to think, but I wonder if it's like, I can't believe I'm here. Hey, hey, Paul, I was the criminal on the cross with Christ. Can you believe it? And as the saints of God, he calls them home. Hey, I don't even know what his name is. I don't even know what to call him, but I was the criminal on the cross. Can you believe it? Friend, don't ever get over your salvation. Don't ever think you deserved it. You and I deserve our salvation about as much as the criminal being crucified on the cross who said, I deserve to be here. I should be here. But if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you, like everybody else, you're in one category or the other. You're either a believer or you're not. If you're saved, if you've believed, let's rejoice in our salvation. May we be mindful that this is a world when we look at people and I'll not say much more on this, I'm out of time, but you and I, we're smart enough to know what our society is doing today, our media is doing today, politics is doing today, trying to get us to look at everybody, categorizing all of these different categories. The only category that matters is believer. When you look at somebody else, don't look at their political affiliation. They're either a believer or an unbeliever. When you look at somebody, don't look at by, by, well, what kind of part of society they came from. They're either a believer or they're an unbeliever. And if we're a believer, it should be in our heart. I've got to tell them about the Savior who went to Calvary for their sins. They've got to have the opportunity to believe. If they reject, it's on them. But we need to be, as believers, going to those that are unbelievers and telling them of what Christ is. I don't know how to tell that story. Just tell it like I told it. There's a conversation between two criminals on crosses on either side of our Lord. And this is what the one criminal said, and he railed on him. If you're who you say you are, denying him. The other one believed and said, remember me. And put his simple faith in Christ. If you need to be saved this morning, I trust that you'll use the opportunity in our time of invitation to trust Christ today. Father, I pray that you'll use the